Okay, so we have been working through a series on rest. Hopefully you're enjoying it um, so far. Last week we touched on the theme of working from rest. You know, I've said a couple of times now that this series is not an excuse for laziness. It's not a, uh, an opportunity for you to get out of doing work. So we looked at the importance of working from a place of rest and not from stress. And Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created each and every one of us with a purpose. And he's given us everything that we need in order to carry out the work that he wants us to do. And so actually, from an understanding of that, that we already have everything that we need, we can find rest. And so we can begin to work from this place of rest because we don't need to struggle. We don't need to strive because there is an ease that comes when we partner with Jesus, when we yoke ourselves to him. And we will find rest as we live from purpose, for purpose and with purpose. In Psalm 127, Solomon wrote, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Solomon is not saying do nothing. But what he is saying is don't trust in what you can do more than what God can do. Because God can provide for you even while you're sleeping. God can do supernatural things whilst you are at rest. And the truth is that our career, our status, our finances, our health, all of that stuff can change in an instant. But God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so we can trust in him. We can trust in him. So we need to be asking ourselves, where is it that we're putting our trust? Are we putting it in our stuff? Are we putting it in our achievements? Are we putting it in the things that we do? Or are we putting our trust in the creator of all things, the author and perfecter, the alpha and omega, almighty God? And we talked about the, the fact that he won't force us into rest. This is an invitation. He said, come to me. So we have this opportunity. We have this invite from God to, to join him in perfect rest. Come to me. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling stressed out and anxious, come to me and I will give you rest. We don't have to, but the door is open for us if we want it. And so we began this series by looking at the story of creation found in Genesis 1 and how Sabbath and rest were actually weaved into the fabric of this world and were placed into our very DNA. But then later, this principle, this practice of Sabbath, it was commanded to the people of Israel in Exodus. So God had delivered the people out of slavery and the rule of Pharaoh and he'd brought them out of that place of Egypt and was taking them on this journey to the promised land. Then he gives Moses a list 
of instructions of how they should live their lives. He said, don't have any other gods. Don't make false gods. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill, steal, commit adultery, covet, or bear false witness. And then he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then it's reiterated again in Deuteronomy, but this time the wording is slightly different. Instead of remember the Sabbath, they're told to observe the Sabbath. And that's really important because he gave us this gift of rest, this gift of of just the freedom and the release of the weight and the burdens that we carry in this life. When he first created us, he called us to rest. So when giving the instructions on how to live, there was this reminder, don't forget about how you were created. Don't forget about what happened right at the beginning of time that I instructed you and invited you into rest. Don't forget about Sabbath, about keeping it holy, about protecting it. Because knowing something and living something out are two very different things. It's not enough to know the message. We've got to practice the method. We can't just remember the Sabbath. We need to observe the Sabbath. It's not enough to just go, ah, yeah, God created this thing back in the day that was was beneficial to those people. Remembering it and knowing about it is not enough. We've got to be observing it. We've got to be living it out in our lives. We've got to actually take part in it, including it in our lives. God didn't rest on the seventh day of creation because he was exhausted. He didn't rest because he was tired and worn out. He rested because his work was done. His creation was finished. It was complete. And God created on created man on the sixth day to live in that seventh day rest, to live without fear, with no need to worry about our survival or our health, to live without painful labor or without having to pour out blood, sweat and tears in order to provide for our families. None of that worry, none of that concern was present at the very beginning. None of that was involved in his perfect creation in the garden. All we needed to focus on was God. All we needed to look to was him, his provision, and just delighting in his creation. That was it. Such a simple design. Man's thoughts were on God. They were on his word. And God had given them work to do. He said, you need to look after the, the creation that I have given to you, and you need to flourish and, and grow. But they did that from a place of resting in the presence of God, of resting in the knowledge that he get, had given them everything that they needed in order to do the thing he was calling them to do. God's plan was complete. That's what our lives were intended to look like. We are so far from that right now. But that is the the pattern. That is the design of how our lives were meant to be. And that, I believe, is what our lives will look like when Jesus comes again. 
that all of the stress, all of the struggle, all of the pain, all of the blood, sweat and tears will be gone and our focus will be on Jesus. We'll just be able to rest and delight and worship in him. You know, we dream of having a life like Adam and Eve had in the very beginning, free from worries, free from pain, and just having the ability and the freedom just to be in the presence of God without having to get busy doing stuff in order to provide and to put food on the tables and to pay the bills. Oh, for a day when we don't need to worry about all of that stuff and we can just sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. However, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they chose to eat of that fruit, all of that perfection, all of that design, everything that God had intended for us was lost. Everything that the seventh day stood for, for rest, for peace, for joy, for worship, it was all gone. But God had a plan. God had a plan to bring restoration to what was lost and that plan has a name and his name is Jesus. God rested on the seventh day because his work was complete. But we messed it up. We ruined it all. We lost the privilege of having that life. And so he needed a plan. He needed to send his one and only son down to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death that would take all of that sin, all of that pain. He would take all of that and nail it to the cross. And then he would rise again, giving us the gift of life again, giving us the opportunity and the freedom to enter into the rest of our original design. He gave us through the death of Jesus, the gift of life and life to the full. And because of that gift, because of that sacrifice, we can once again enjoy this seventh day rest. We can rest in the knowledge that he's already paid the price, that he's already restored to us what was lost, that his work is once again complete. Jesus said, didn't he, on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. And so the work that we do now is not an attempt to, to strive or to earn from God what it is that was lost. We're not trying to earn or achieve or attain the approval of our Heavenly Father. We already have it. He already paid the price. He already did it all. On the cross, he said it is finished. And it was finished. We're free. Through the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus to live once again in that day of rest. In that pattern and that design that was there from the very beginning of time. Because of him, all of the things that we do wrong. Every time we mess up. It's all been paid for through Jesus. We no longer need to fear. We no longer need to worry. We no longer need to stress and get anxious about provision or health because everything that we need, everything that we ever need has been provided for us. God has called us all with a purpose. 
He's given us all a set of uh, skills and abilities and passions, but he's also given us everything that we need in order to do the thing that he's calling us to do. And so let's just read what happened immediately after Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Because God commanded them, he, he made this, this beautiful creation and he said, this is all yours to enjoy. You can have it all. You can rest and delight and, and worship in my amazing, awesome, perfect creation. But just don't eat from this one tree. That is it. Everything else is yours to enjoy. But just don't do that. And yet we know, don't we, that the, the enemy came in in the form of a snake and tempted them and, and they chose of their own free will to eat of the fruit of that tree and sin entered into the world in that moment. But let's just read what happened after that. This is Genesis 3, starting at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit. It must have been hard because Jesus' creation was perfect. And so, of course, the fruit from this tree looked good. Of course, it looked enticing and delicious. And so she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, typically, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit. Just own your own sin, man. <laughs> she didn't make you. And I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She's blaming someone else too. You chose to eat that fruit. The first emotions that entered into the world after they ate of the fruit of that tree that God told them not to was guilt and shame. God created this perfect environment for them. He gave them everything they could ever need. And it was good. But he said, just don't do this one thing. Just don't do this one thing. And yet they did it. They had everything. And yet because of this desire within them for more, they brought into the world guilt and shame. The guilt of what they'd done going against God's instructions and then the shame of their nakedness. And so because of that, we all 
battle with these emotions. We all struggle and we all face these feelings of guilt and of shame at one time or another. But the truth about these feelings is that they rob us from the rest that God has bought for us. Because guilt and shame were brought into the world in those first few days. But Jesus has now paid the price. And so we don't need to feel those feelings anymore. So let's just keep looking and see what happened. Because something really interesting happens for Adam and Eve just a few verses later. So they've gone ahead and they've done this one thing that God told them not to do. But despite of that, despite going against God's instructions, ignoring the the incredible provision that he'd given for them that they could rest in and enjoy, despite going against his instructions and just enjoying this perfection, Once their eyes had been opened to their nakedness, God was disappointed, obviously. But it goes on and it says in verse 21, he made them clothing from animal skins. He made them clothes. He covered their nakedness so they would no longer be ashamed. So even from the very beginning, when sin entered the world and guilt and shame arrived on the scene, God saw these emotions and he knew they were not good. And so he did something to cover their shame. He did something to help them remove this feeling of shame from their lives. Just let that sink in for a minute. This was not part of his design and he wasn't having any of it. So he found a way for them to no longer feel that shame anymore. And he's done the same for you and me. Because it's natural for us to feel guilt and to feel shame when we mess up, as we inevitably do. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. But those feelings and those emotions of guilt and shame that come into our lives the moment we sin, that's not what God wants for our lives. And so by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live and to die and to rise again, the power of the work of the cross, it covers our guilt and it covers our shame like clothes of righteousness. His blood cleanses us, removing our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's done that for you. He's done that for me. So that every time we sin, that every time we mess up, Every time we make a mistake and those feelings once again wash over us. He says, no, you don't need to feel those emotions anymore. Put on this garment of righteousness. Let me clothe you. Let me cover your shame. He's paid the price. He's done it for us already. 
Because when we allow ourselves to live in the place of guilt and shame, we allow the lies of the enemy to creep into our lives. The lies that say, you're a bad person. The lies that say, I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I'm an idiot. I deserve this. God won't love me anymore because of these things that I have done. They're the lies that enter into our lives when we allow guilt and shame to swallow us up. But God says, no, there's another way. You don't need to feel this anymore. Put on my righteousness. Let me cover your guilt. Let me cover your shame. And so Adam and Eve had had taken this fruit and they'd taken a bite and they were now feeling the guilt and the shame of their actions. And so what do they do? It says they hid from God. Not very well, but they hid from God. And that's what the enemy wants for us. That when we mess up, when we make a mistake, when we fall into that trap that we've been falling into for the past however many years, that when that thing has happened or when we've said that thing or when we've done that thing or when we've thought that thought and the guilt and the shame begin to wash over us once again, what the enemy wants for us in that moment is not for us to put on the garment of righteousness, not to allow God to cover that guilt and that shame with the work of the cross, but what he wants is for us to run away and hide. When we find ourselves wrapped up in guilt and in shame, that's what we do often that we hide from God because we just feel so terrible. We just think, oh, I can't believe that I've done this again. I can't believe that I said that again. I can't believe that I hurt that person again. And so we run away and we hide and we just say, okay, it's almost like paying penance. I can't repent just yet. I can't run into the presence of God just yet. First, I need to just sit in my guilt and my shame and allow myself to feel beaten and broken and and punished for what it is that I've done because the world says, you do something wrong, you deserve punishment. But God says, no, I've already paid the price. I've already done the work, so you don't need to sit in this, in this corner and wallow in guilt and shame and just feel terrible about what you've done. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's wrong. But don't sit there. Don't hide from God. Rush into his presence. Fall on your knees. God, I'm sorry. Immediately. Because if you allow even one minute of sitting in those emotions, that one minute will turn into an hour or a day or a week or a month or years where you're feeling so bad about the mistakes that you have made. But God says, no, you can immediately go to him. Even in the middle of doing whatever it is that you're doing, You can be like, God, I'm sorry. 
I shouldn't be doing this. Let me put back on that garment of righteousness. Cover up any feelings of guilt and of shame. Let's not hide from God. Let's not build up those walls that stop him from entering into our presence and us entering into his his presence, believing that these walls will protect us because they are doing the complete opposite. Because the only thing that can protect us is God and his righteousness. In Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, So now there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And he goes on, Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's a power in sin. And the power in sin, it comes from these emotions that wash over us. And the only thing that will defeat the power of sin and the power of death is the power of the life-giving spirit. And that is God's gift to us. He says, if you declare me as Lord and Savior of your life, I will fill you with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And so if you call yourself a follower of Christ this morning, he is living in you by his spirit. And so you no longer need to feel guilt and shame. We need to allow ourselves the freedom to rest in our salvation. We need to rest in our salvation, rest in the forgiveness that we have in God. Because you are forgiven. As soon as you make that decision to invite Jesus into your life, you are forgiven for everything. Past, present and future, you are forgiven. And no matter how many times you mess up, if you fall down seven times, he'll pick you up eight. You will never run out of chances in God. You don't have just nine lives. There's not a score sheet that says, okay, as soon as you hit this mark, I'm out, I'm done. That's it. You've used up all of my forgiveness that I had for you. That is not how God works. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't doesn't even keep a record of your wrongs. He rubs it out. He erases it. It's as if you never did it in the first place. Come on, church. But the devil doesn't want that for you. The devil is real. And he is prowling around, looking for opportunities. And he doesn't want you to to have that freedom. He wants you to be wrapped up in the guilt and the shame that comes when we mess up. He wants us to hide from the one who has already bought our freedom. Don't pull away from God. Don't hide from God. Run towards him. And to do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was writing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. In Ephesians 3, it says, When I think of all of this, 
I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and they will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. We'll never really get it. And then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We can overcome those feelings and those emotions of guilt and of shame when we understand or when we even begin to scratch the surface of the depths of God's love for us. And his spirit is at work within us, revealing to us just how much he loves us. However much you're thinking, it's so much more. However much you're imagining, it is far greater than that. He loves you so much. And so the Holy Spirit is at work within us, revealing this to us and enabling us to trust in him. Enabling us to trust that God is good and that we are forgiven and that we are loved. When we draw close to him, when we run towards him instead of hiding from him, it's there that we can find rest in our salvation. Because carrying the burden of guilt and shame is exhausting. That is a heavy burden. That is a heavy load. That's a heavy weight for anyone to be carrying. But God invites us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. We don't need to carry that burden anymore. By inviting him into your life, you say, I don't want to carry this weight anymore. Will you carry it for me? And he carried it straight to the cross and he left it there. You are free. You're forgiven. You are loved far more than you will ever know. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have trusted to him until the day of his return. So hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Here we see 
that the, the method, the, the strategy that Paul is using to overcome these tendencies to, to carry guilt and to carry shame is by trusting in the truth and the promise that God will guard you. We've got to trust in him. We've got to put our faith in him. It's by the Holy Spirit that we can have the strength to guard the truth of the gospel that has been entrusted to you. The gospel that says you are no longer a sinner, but you have been made righteous and holy by my sacrifice. The gospel that says you are free, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are holy. The gospel that says you don't need to carry that anymore. But it's hard, isn't it? I'm talking about this theme of resting in our salvation. And again, it's that idea of of not just knowing, but doing. We've got to actually put this stuff into practice. Because we might know that we are forgiven, but if we don't live like we are forgiven, we're going to be hiding from God. We're going to be sitting and living in this place of guilt and of shame. And so we need to put some things into action. We need to begin to practice what it is that we're hearing. And we need to use the strategies that we can to combat the enemy who is alive and at work, trying to force us away from God, to force us into a place of isolation where we are hiding from him, where we are out of his presence, where we are out of his love, where we're out of his grace. Because when we're there, we're not going to be living to purpose, from purpose, for purpose. We're not going to be doing anything effective when we're living out of the presence of God. And so that's what the enemy wants for us. But God has got so much more for us. And so we've got to put some strategies in place. And one of those strategies is confession. If you speak something out, if you speak something out, it destroys the power of that thing. You know, if you look at conversations that go on in Alcoholics or or Narcotics Anonymous, you just got to speak out. You got to confess the thing. I am an addict. And once you've made that declaration, it destroys the power. That's not to say that you won't still feel those, those addictions and those temptations any longer, But it's brought what was in the darkness into the light. And then that means that those around you can begin to support you in that. And that actually what you were hiding from the world and maybe even hiding from yourself has been brought into the light and you are released from that. And so we've got to confess with our mouth. It says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We got to confess it. We got to speak it out. What is it that keeps you from God? What is that thing that is tempting you time and time again? Speak it out. And in confessing it, we break off its power. And so we've got to confess it, but also we've got to counter the enemy's lies 
with God's truth. And we see this pattern from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because he got baptized and then immediately after he was baptized, he went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And during that time, the enemy came at him. The enemy came at him with a whole bunch of lies. But what Jesus did was he began to speak the words of truth taken from his word to combat the lies of the enemy. So where the devil said one thing, Jesus spoke over something else that said, no, that's not true. God's got more for me than that. And so we need to find some truths that will break the lies that we are carrying and we are battling in our lives. And I encourage you to, uh, to, to think about and meditate on what it is that is tempting you, what it is that you are thinking and feeling that is pulling you away from God. What are those emotions? What are those strongholds that are stopping you from being in his presence? That are keeping you away from him, isolated? And do some research. Just get online. In fact, in most Bibles, if you look in the back of the Bible, you can find themes and it will direct you to scriptures to combat those issues. But let me just give you a few right now. When the enemy tells you you're weak, the truth is in Isaiah 40, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When the enemy says you're a failure, the truth comes in Romans 8, I am more than a conqueror. When the enemy says you're rejected, the truth in Ephesians 1 says, in Jesus, I am accepted. When the enemy says, you're not important, the truth in Deuteronomy 7 says, I am God's treasured possession. When the enemy says, nobody likes you, the truth in Psalm 17 says, I am the apple of God's eye. When the enemy says, you're a victim, the truth in 1 Corinthians 15 says, in Christ, I am victorious. When the enemy says, you're all alone. The truth in Joshua 1 says, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. When the enemy says you are ugly, the truth found in Psalm 45 says, God delights in your beauty. When the enemy says you will never be healed, the truth in Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes I am healed. And when the enemy says you are covered with guilt and shame, The truth in Isaiah 61 says, instead of shame, instead of dishonor, you will enjoy a double portion of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. This word has the power to break any lie that the enemy brings against you. So whatever stronghold is over your life, whatever is there that is keeping you from his presence, please, please, please open his word. Find the truth that defeats that lie and speak it over yourself until the lie is gone. Not just once, not just twice or three times, every day, every day. 
until that lie is not lingering in your mind any longer. This is a gift to us. This is our offensive weapon against the enemy. And so make the most of this gift that we have got. And I know this morning I've just, I've just hung on guilt and shame for a long time. And when I started preparing this message at the beginning of the week, it was going in a whole different direction. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit said, this is, this is where we're going. And so I just went with it and I'm believing that it's for someone this morning in this place. That if you are feeling those emotions of guilt and shame because of whatever it is that you have done, they are a weight and they are a burden that we were not meant to carry. We were not meant to live in that place. Because remember, Jesus invites us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus took it all, all the guilt, all the shame, all the pain, all the sin. He took it all and he nailed it to the cross. He paid the price. The work is done. It is finished. And so now we can rest. Now we can rest in the truth of our salvation. And so if you trust in Lord Jesus as your saviour, God has removed your guilt and he's removed your shame. And maybe this morning, someone or a few of us just needed reminding of that today. But if you have never invited him into your life, there's an invitation here Come to me. Come to me. There is rest in my presence. Come to me. And I will remove from you those burdens that you are carrying. And I will give you rest for your soul. And just like for Adam and Eve when he made for them some clothes and he covered their shame, he says, I've got a piece of clothing for you. And it is going to cover the guilt and it is going to cover the shame. Come to me and let me clothe you in my righteousness. When he died and he rose again, he created a way for us to be restored to the original design. To be restored back to the way the garden was created, free from all the pain free from all the struggle and the strife and the guilt and the shame and the sin, free from it all. He's paid the price. It's done. It's finished. Come to me and I will give you rest. 